Pastor Leon and his wife Sheila founded Gospel Tabernacle Church in 1982 in the heart of Lawrence, South Carolina. Since then, the Lord has richly blessed and increased the ministry and family of Gospel Tabernacle Church. Here at Gospel Tabernacle, we believe in the power of the Word of God to change the hearts and lives of believers. Gospel Tabernacle is a family church ministering to the whole family through the charismatic teaching ministry. Today's message will grow your faith and draw you close to the Lord as you open your heart to God's Word and His Spirit. Have your Bible, let's lift it up high. Let's say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I'll never be the same. I'm about to receive the indestructible, incorruptible, ever-living seed, the Word of God, and I'll never be the same, never, 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 in Jesus' name, hallelujah. Oh, that sounds good. One more time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, wow. I like that. Amen. God is good. Let your spirit out. The Bible teaches us that God created Adam and uh, he breathed into him his spirit. And you and I have the spirit of the Lord in us. It's the very life that we breathe and the very life that we are. And when we release voice, when we release words, we're sort of releasing that uh, spirit that is within us and it's going forth telling who we are and what we do and how we live in the presence of our life. And so great to do that. Look with me in the Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll look along about verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 as we get uh, started here this morning into the Word of God. And I'm going to be continuing what I've been teaching on for the last couple of weeks on the subject of the good life in relationship to habits that we establish in this good life. And so Ephesians chapter 2 is where I've been taking a text from verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, and by grace are you saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and the kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Notice verse 10. We are God's workmanship. We are God's design. We are God's purpose. He has made us, formed us, fashioned us, created us as we are. He is the creator. And he has created us in Christ Jesus unto good works. We're created to have a life of good works. And Paul says here, God has ordained that we walk in them. Walk in the good works. Let me read it to be out of the Amplified Bible. It says this, verse 10, For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, received in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. How many is ready to live the good life? Say amen. amen. That's what we're doing in this earth today. We are living the good life, the life that the Lord has prepared for us, that he has designed, that he has laid out in the instruction book. We have the schematic, if you will, 
of our life that's here. If you've ever done any work on electronics or uh, that kind of thing, uh, to know where everything goes, and I don't know by far today, everything's circuit board's a little bit different than it used to be, but whether it's a transistor or a, a transformer or a resistor or some type of thing inside of an electrical component, uh, when you look at it, you see a lot of things like that, and you see the little wiring, all that's going on there. To know what's going on, you need a schematic. And a schematic lays it out in detail, tells you what is where, what it is called, what it does, those kind of things, and how that you are to bring correction to that device. You go back to the schematic. And the Bible is our schematic of our spiritual life and the life that we live right now. And if you need to bring correction to your life and you need to bring change in your life, then don't ask me or somebody else, but go back to the Word of God and get the schematic, the blueprint, the divine design for your life. And it's right here in the pages of the Bible. Somebody say amen. amen. That's where we're going today, looking right into the Word of God. Okay, we've been talking about the good life and in essence looking at the habits of the good life, the things that we are to do in our life and things that will cause us to live this good life. It just doesn't happen all by itself. And so there are certain things that we must do. One of those things that we've been talking about is the arena or the subject of prayer. And so we've been looking at that. We've talked about prayer uh, in several different ways. We've understood that we are children of God. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, 1, that now we have become children of God. And so at the point of being born again, we have become a child of God. I'm a child of God. You are a child of God if you have been born again. You have come into this relationship with God the Father. In this relationship, the Bible says that we have fellowship with Him. And the Scripture teaches us in 1 John chapter 1 as it continues on. It talks about we walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. We have fellowship with our Lord through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? I was thinking the other day, they talk about, you know, in our social distancing, that kind of thing, how you can sit. You know, like we're all sitting on pews today that are marked off by, by blue tape, that kind of thing. And so we have this little distancing thing going on. And I said, well, as the restaurants open up, if Sheila and I go out and someone goes with us, uh, uh, how are we going to sit? And I got to thinking about that. If they are born again, we can all sit at the same table. Because we are blood relatives. We are relatives by blood. Somebody say Amen. Amen. We are relatives by blood. And it's the blood of Jesus that has washed us from our sins, cleansed us, and brought us into his family. The blood of Jesus Christ. And so we saw that. We talked about, as well as that, in 1 Peter chapter 3, where the scripture teaches us concerning our prayers, that God's ears are open unto our prayers. So in this relationship, as a child of God, we fellowship with God through the avenue and the arena of prayer. That is my relationship with God through prayer. There are other components to it, but prayer is a large part of how I connect with the Father God. In looking at that, we begin to look at some prayer keys and some points within Scripture that talk about that. We look and we saw, first of all, in Jeremiah 33, 3, where the Bible says that we call upon the Lord, and He says that He will answer us and show us great and mighty things which we know not. And so we learn that when we go into the arena of prayer, it is a place of new possibilities. It's a place of more than I am. In other words, he shows me great and mighty things. Great and mighty things, not normal things, not natural things, not things that just happen in humanity. Those are fine, and there's some good blessings that does take place right on the human level. That, that's okay. But when I come to God in the arena of prayer, he shows me great and mighty things that I know not. And so prayer takes me to a place of more than I am. Amen. Pr 
prayer takes me to a place of more than I am. It's a place of new possibilities. It's a place of dreams. It's a place of goals. It's a place of expansion and increasing. The Bible teaches us that, that He can do exceedingly but above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us in Ephesians 3 and verse 20. And so it's, it's a wonderful place to go into that arena of prayer. You can go there and, and literally just leave all of your cares behind and everything. The song years ago talked about we go up on the roof to do that. Well, you know, you might want to get up on the roof and escape a few things, but you go up on top of God's roof and you escape all these things going on on this earth and going on in this world. We have had a brand new place with Him that we do not have any other way, and it's through the arena of prayer. We saw this, that Jesus said that prayer is always successful. Now, I understand in the life that, that many people don't have that understanding and don't have that reality. Sometimes God answers, sometimes he doesn't, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't, sometimes this, sometimes that. But Jesus never told us that. Jesus told us this in Luke 11 and 9. He said, I say unto you, ask, and it be given you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks find, and he that knocks it shall be opened. I mean, he, he didn't leave any of the stuff in here like people talk about. You know, sometimes God says go slow or grow or no. And all. No, he didn't say any of that stuff. A lot of that's man-made for sure. And uh, Jesus told us that when we pray, we're going to get an answer. And, and so how would it be that if you had a mom or you had a dad or you had a husband or wife and, and, and you went and you asked them a question and they just, you know, zipped it all up and just went and talked to you at all? And that's, that's not relationship. We have a better relationship than that with the Father God. And so we looked at that a little bit. We also saw the power of Jesus' name. How the scripture teaches us that, that through his name, we have our rights to come before the Father. It's not my name. It's not your name. My, not my doctrine, your doctrine, your church, my church. It's, it's not any of that. It, it's not my hurt. It's not your hurt. It's not my need. It's not your need. It's not my vision, my direction, my goal. My, it's none of those things. As good or as needful as some of those things may truly, truly be. That's not the way that we come to the Father God. We come to the Father God in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. He has made a way for us to come into the presence of the throne room, into the presence of Almighty God. And it is through His wonderful and mighty name. E.W. Kenyon wrote a book on it years ago called The Wonderful Name of Jesus. And it is. It's a wonderful name that brings you into the presence of Almighty God. We saw that Jesus said when he prayed at the tomb of Lazarus, after Lazarus had died, been dead for three days, and Jesus is there about to raise him from the dead, and Jesus says this to the Father as he's praying, Father, I thank you that you hear me. And then he says, I'm not saying that because, I'm, you know, you need to hear me say that. God, you know that you hear me. I know that you always hear me. It's not between you and me, but for all these people that stand by, I said it for them. And he said, you always hear me. Amen. Therefore, when I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, God the Father always hears me. It's not he might. It's not sometimes he will. It's not sometimes he won't. He always hears me. When I say in the name of Jesus Christ and I pray in Jesus' authority that he has. It brings you to the same place Jesus would be. You just have to understand it that way. No, 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 no. Don't get upset and throw dirt in the air and tear your clothes and all that stuff. I'm not saying that, you know... You're, you're Jesus. Jesus is Jesus, and you're you. But you've got Jesus on the inside of you. And we are in this earth, as the Bible talks about, the body of Christ. And so when I pray, when I pray and I speak to God here on planet earth in heaven, Jesus is there. He told the disciples, I'm going away. 
And he went away to heaven. And so he's there. And when I speak on earth, my words that I'm speaking on earth come out Jesus' mouth in heaven to the Father. And that's the authority upon which I speak to the Father God. That's the way it happens when the Father God speaks back to me, the Holy Ghost that he sent down here to planet earth, speaks into our hearts and our lives, and that's how we hear back from him. Of course, with the Word of God, of course, as we go in there as well. And, and so that's a divine right we have in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we talked about that. And then we also just closed out, and let's look at this verse as we'll begin today. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, and then verse 15. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. We have an invitation to come boldly before God in prayer. You, you don't have to slide in the back door. Amen. You know, 50 ways to find God. No, no, you don't have to do any of those kind of things. You, you don't have to slide in the back door toward God. You, you don't have to go in with the rest of the crowd that's going. Uh, you don't have to hold on to your preacher's coattails Amen. to get into the prayer of Almighty or prayer room of Almighty God. No, you don't. You don't. You got a right to be there just like your preacher does, or anybody else for that matter. Amen. You got a right to be there just like Jesus has got a right to be there. Yeah. You ask yourself that same question. Does Jesus have a right to be in the throne room of Almighty God? You would of course said, if you know anything about the Bible or any kind of claim to Christianity at all, you would of course say, Of course Jesus has every right to be in the throne room of Almighty God. Yeah. Well, if he does, I do. If he does, you do. And we're going to see that. So the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Amen. In other words, he has the right to come before the Father because he lived a life without sin. He paid the price. He was the perfect sacrifice for you and me on the cross of Calvary. I don't have that right. There have been some people... And we applaud, you know, the selflessness of people who give their lives for other people. There's been some good people in our world that they literally did. They gave their lives in service to other people. We think about our military folks. We think about people in firefighting and police and protection, all these other kind of things. Not counting people that serve on mission fields and people that serve in America and have given and given and given until they really didn't have to give. And then they gave that too. And they gave their lives. They gave everything. There are some people that have truly, truly blessed people by giving all that they had. And that's great. That's wonderful. But the problem would be every one of those people, including you and me if we were in that case, every one of those people would have sin in their life. And every one of those people would not have a perfect sacrifice to bring to the Father. There's only one person had a perfect sacrifice to bring to the Father. That is Jesus Christ the righteous. And Jesus Christ knew no sin. And so he's got divine privilege, divine right to go in and out of the throne room of God freely. There is no problem for Jesus. He has earned it by conquest. He has made it. He has run and fought the fight, the race. He's done what he's supposed to do, and he showed himself the victor. He has that right. Well, the Bible tells us that it is he, Christ Jesus, who is our great high priest. He is our representative. He represents us before God. In verse 16, Scripture says, Let us, because he's representing us, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need Amen. or in time of virus. Yes. 
Amen? Amen. We, we come to God in time of need, and, and He's the one, Jesus Christ, gets us into the throne room. We get into the throne room of Almighty God. And we are able to come boldly. We do not have to sneak in. We don't have to try to come in the back door. We don't have to go in with the rest of the crowds going in. And we sort of mingle in the crowd. And hopefully he won't see us. If he does, surely he'll throw us out. So we would think. No, we don't do that at all. We come strongly and boldly into the throne room of Almighty God. We come into the throne room of God like we got every right in the world to be there. Yes. And we do. Yes. We got our rights to be there. And we come boldly into the throne room of God. We have God's ear. God hears us when we pray. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. He does. And we've got rights to come into His presence. The Message Bible says it like this So let's walk right up to Him and get what He is ready to give. Take the mercy. Go ahead and accept the help. And so we just walk right up to Him. Now, I understand that on the inside of our hearts and our lives, what we have this dichotomy of two things constantly going into us. Oh, my. When I think about walking into the throne room of Almighty God, I just want to bow down and cry holy. I want to fall down, prostrate before Him, and worship Him, and love Him, and thank Him for 10 million zillion years for all of His blessings and every good thing He's done in our lives. And the greatness of who He is, and the great love that He's displayed. All those things are certainly in our heart. But at the same time, there is this thing that's on the inside of me and on the inside of you that cries out, Abba, Father. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord's on the inside crying out before God. Amen. And this cry says, He's my Father. Amen. He is mine. He is my Father, my dad, my dad. He, I got rights. I got rights to be there. And so both of those working at the same time do the proper balancing on it and then come in boldly into the throne room of Almighty God, boldly into His throne room. The Bible says this in James chapter 5, chapter 4, verse 8, draw nigh to God, and what does it say He'll do? He'll draw nigh to you. You draw close to God, He'll draw close to you. Remember the quote I read you, Andrew Murray said it like this. He said, believe with all your heart that just as you present yourself to God in prayer, so God presents Himself to you as the hearer of your prayer. Just as surely as you make an approach toward God, know that God is already making an approach toward you. Amen. When Sheila and I were dating in uh, 1972 and 1973, uh, she would be at her home and I would come to pick her up. And before I would get there to pick her up, you know, different times when I would drive up, I would see that she came to the window or came back, came back, whatever. When she knows I'm going to come, I'm going to be the one, you know, knocking on her door. And we're fixing to go out, whatever we're going to do, and I'm going to knock on her door. And so she's not just knocking on the door. Where's Sheila? I don't know. She might be right here somewhere. No. She was always at the door waiting. Before I ever got to the door of the front porch, the door would open and welcome me in. I mean, you know, that's a love life that we have been enjoying all these years. But at the same time, recognize it's like that and even much greater with you and the Father. Amen. Don't think you're knocking on heaven's door and they say God's not here for you today. Don't think that you're knocking on heaven's door and God's nowhere to be found. No, just as surely as you made a step toward him, I'm persuaded he made more than a step toward you. Amen. I think God is just waiting on some of us. Yes. Just to nudge ourselves and move and come toward him in our relationship and our presence with him. And just to walk toward him. God, God said, I've just been waiting on it all the time. Amen. Been waiting on you to make a move. And that's how God is. He doesn't force himself on us. He's there for us in this relationship. But when we make a move toward him, the Bible says if I draw close to him, he'll draw close to me. And so I got every right to be in God's presence. We can come boldly. 
We can come boldly. If someone asks you about prayer time in your life or speaking to the Father and wants you to pray about something, uh, about something, why, why don't you just have the attitude, well, okay, I'll, I'll talk to God about it. Yes. Don't worry about it. Amen. Don't be concerned. I'm going to go talk to God about it. Amen. Everybody say, I will. I will. Talk to God about it. It's okay. It's okay. You don't have to be nervous. Don't get worried. Don't get sad. It's okay. We'll, we'll go talk to God about it. And when we talk to Him about it, then He can take care of it. It's in His hands. He can handle it. But you know what? We know that we've got a relationship with Him, that we can come boldly into His presence. Now, turn with Matthew 18, 18. Let me show you something. Because of that, in Matthew 18 and 18, let me get us there. And I want to show you something here as well. Just a moment here. But Matthew 18, 18 is where I want to show you something. That's where we come in with this kind of power that the Bible talks about. Some people have yet to comprehend it and understand it. And I'm not saying that I've plumbed the depth and the height of all of it yet, but I got a little insight into it that uh, we can move into uh, this morning as we begin to see the things of God. But in Matthew 18, 18, Jesus said this. In fact, he said it in Matthew 16 as well. But Matthew 18, 18, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that whatever you shall bind on earth, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Now, notice what it does not say. Verily, verily, I say unto you that whatsoever you shall beg on earth, one day you might, might just beg it out of heaven. It doesn't say that, does it? Whatsoever you shall cry, grumble, complain, murmur, moan and groan, all these things. It doesn't say that either. Now, I understand that we're human, and we've all had times. If, if you haven't, thank God for you. But, but most of us have had times in our life when we shed some tears over tragedies and heartaches and problems. Yeah, and so if you've got a tear in your heart and your spirit, go on to God. That, that's okay. That's not what I'm talking about. Go on to God during that time. Let Him love you. Amen. Let Him take care of you. Yeah. Let, let Him hold you. Let him, let him give you assurance and confidence that He's there for you. Let, let Him just, you know, pat you on the head and hold you so he let you know that everything's going to be all right. So if you've got a tear in your heart, if you've got some, some things going on like that, that's, that's okay. Go on to God with those kind of things. But don't come to God thinking because you just cried your eyes out, He's going to do something for you. That's right. And you think that all your crying did it for you. No. And you think that all your, you know, um, begging, and if you just beg God enough, I, I, I mean, you know, any mom or dad doesn't want their children begging for them. Amen. I mean, you will have a child got something, ask for it. You don't have to beg. Ask for it. We'll either do it or we won't do it. Whatever the parent thinks best, that's okay to make those decisions. But at the same time, you don't want children begging you and just acting like they're out there with, with, without parents, without someone to help and care for them. And, and so we, we come to God not begging, not crying, not pleading, but we come to God and He's given us this divine authority that we can bind and we can loose in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and so rather than coming to God crying and screaming, Rather than coming to God all upset and all bent out of shape, why not come to God binding and loosing in Jesus' name? Amen. Why not come to God when people talk about the situations and circumstances that are happening in this earth? And, and again, remember our place of authority. You and I have authority on planet earth. Adam was given it. It is in mankind. Adam became a speaking spirit. You or I are mankind. It is humanity that has this place of authority on the earth. It is Christ Jesus. Why, why did Christ even come as a human being, as a man? He had to come through the earth as a human being, as a man, because it was a human being, a man, Adam, that got the authority in the earth. Amen. 
And so he had to come that way to regain the authority that Adam lost. The way that you and I get it as human beings is through Christ Jesus and the power of his name. And we have that same authority that God has given. What he gave to Jesus, he has now given to us. We have that authority that Jesus Christ had. And we have that power to bind and loose in the name of Jesus. You don't have to beg the devil to get off of your back. You don't have to whine and cry to the devil and say, Devil, don't you know how this is destroying me? How this is killing me? How this is hurting me? Well, don't tell the devil that. He'll keep on doing it more. He loves that. He, he loves hurting, killing, and destroying. But the Bible says his main focus in life is to kill, steal, and destroy. And, and so we, we don't try to, devil, have mercy on me. You're praying a lost cause if that's what you're praying. Devil, let me go just for a little while. Give me just a little bit of peace. Give me just a little bit of rest. That's a lost cause. If you're praying that toward the devil, trying to get him to let you go. No? Why not stand up in the authority that the Bible says that you have in Christ Jesus and say, Devil! I bind you in the name of Jesus. You're out of here. And that's that. Now, you have to understand your uh, power of authority that the Bible says that we have. You have, I have, all authority where you are concerned. Where I am concerned. When I come in, in my place of authority, I have a wife. I have authority, some authority with her and me in our prayer life based on the agreement of our covenant relationship we have in marriage. That grants me some authority. I have, when I come into the realm of my children, I have some authority with them in the area of them being our offspring, but again, too, it is limited by their agreement. When you go outside of my wife and my children and go into my extended family, the further you go out, the greater agreement I need for my prayer to be effective for you. So in other words, you bring this to the right understanding. You just can't get up and say, well, I just bind in the name of Jesus this virus off of all the planet Earth. You don't have that authority. In fact, if there's anybody got it, they ain't done it yet. Right? You don't have that authority. But you do have the authority to bind that thing out of your life. You do have that authority. That's between you and God and nobody else in between there. It's a you and God thing. You do have that authority where you're concerned. Now, with those that you love and those that walk in agreement and fellowship and covenant with you, you also have some limited authority there. Not as much as you have yourself between you and God, but you have some there as they also come into agreement with you. The further you extend that relationship, the less you have that agreement, the less that the authority is there. But if you can get a a great group and a great mass of people that will turn to God and turn to God in repentance and turn to God in faith and prayer believing, you can have tremendous fair authority over a city, over a town, over a county, over a state, over the the world if, if the world will come to God in that kind of repentance and faith and belief in God. But there is that limitation. So keep that in the proper understanding and you won't get confused when you read that about binding and loosing. Realize that that's working to this primary place where you are concerned and then it extends out based on the authority you have, covenant relationship you have, agreement you have with those that you're wanting to extend that binding and loosing with. But Jesus said that's what we got the right to do. 
We don't, we don't have to come in and murmur and complain and be upset and all those kind of things. Look with me in Numbers chapter 14. Let me show you something. It, it is a very, very, let me see if I can get there here. Numbers chapter 14. Turn with me over there. I'll find it here on the thing. The Lord showed this to me yesterday. I want to show it today. In Numbers chapter 14, and then look at verse 1 and 2. If I can get there. Loading, loading. Okay. Numbers 14. And then about verse 1, I think. 14 verse 1. Do you remember when the children of Israel, they came out of Egyptian bondage and they're going to the promised land? Well, the first thing they do is they send out these spies, spy out the promised land, and determine, you know, what kind of force they're going to be fighting against, what kind of enemies have the land, uh, what kind of produce is there, what kind of crops are there, what kind of land is there, are there streams, are there mountains, what's going on, we're about to come into this place as they're getting ready to come in. And this is just a few weeks after they have left Egypt. They're getting ready to come into the promised land. And so as they do that, there are some that come back with a negative report, about 10 of those spies. They come back with a negative report, but two of them come back with a positive report. Caleb and uh, Joshua come back with a very positive and faith-believing report that, you know, yeah, there's some problems in the land. There's some giants there. But the land is good, and here's the fruit. Here it is. We're carrying it. You can see it. It's good. It's a good land. It does flow with milk and honey, and God's well able to give us the land. However, ten of the spies said, no, no, we can't do it. They are right that the land is flowing with milk and honey. It is a good land. It has great produce, and everything is working good out there in that land. You know, streams and valleys and waters flowing, and it's a great place. Uh, but the problem is the giants there, and we can't overcome the giants. Because when we asked the giants, we looked at them, and we were in the giants' eyes as grasshoppers. And as we were in their eyes like grasshoppers, the giants agreed, yes, you're grasshoppers. So we can't go in and we can't take the land. Well, what happened was those ten spies began to persuade the body of the children of Israel that came out, several million, out of Egyptian bondage and began to persuade them to doubt and disbelieve God. And not all that, persuade them to murmur against God and complain against God. See, some of us today in our prayer life, if you have a prayer life of murmuring and complaining against God, you, you ought to just quit praying. Amen. If that's the kind of prayer life you got, that you just come to God to murmur and complain and, and all this kind of stuff, you, you better close your mouth. Amen. I mean, you better do that very quickly. Because the Bible says this about them. So all the congregation lifted their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Okay. When, when you talk about weeping and crying, uh, sometimes when you, when you get hurt in life and you face problems... Uh, you're emotional, and you can shed some tears. But, but when you are weeping and crying because of despair and because that you don't see any way out, that kind of weeping and crying is showing a lack of faith in God. Amen. Amen. Now, now, again, understand that there's those tears of hurt when you miss somebody. And that happens. Okay? You can get hit real hard in life, and, you know, we can pop you, throw you a little loop a little bit. I understand those kind of tears. But when your tears come to God because you're so in desperation and desperate that, uh, uh, and you get so bent out shape, nervous and all those kind of things and, this, and just blows your system apart, then, then you're in that arena there of unbelief yes. and doubt. Because once you really know who God is, you don't get desperate. Praise God. I know there's a lot of songs that talk about it. I mean, I, you know, God would almost be offended if I said I was desperate. You know, I, I understand that we're calling after God and want to be with Him all our presence. I understand that. But the thing is this, I don't have to be desperate because God's not way out there that, that I have to you know, be concerned about him not being up here. Amen. He's always with me. He goes with me by day and my night, and he never leaves me, and he never forsakes me. So how can I be desperate for him? He is always with me. Okay? 
And, and so when, when I look at this, I understand that in the area of emotions and how they work in your life. But here, they're crying and they're weeping all night. There was a promised land. God said we could add it. Now we get over there and the giants are there and we can't have it now. And we just lost everything. And that was tears and that was weeping of despair, doubt, and unbelief, fear, and failure. Amen. That's the kind of weeping they were doing. In verse 2, and all the children of Israel complained. Oh, Lord, some people have a prayer life of complaining. I think complaining is one of the nine spiritual gifts. And complain toward God. The children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Who's that you can complain about? You can complain about to that person that said you could. Who that person said you would. Who that person gave you the promise and gave you the light. You complain against that person. You ought to be complaining against people who say you can't. If you're going to complain. I mean, there's another way of doing it, though. Children of Israel complained against Moses, Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we died in the land of Egypt, or if only we died in this wilderness. In other words, we've we, we got several choices. They all include death. We just soon died in Egypt, then even got out here. Or once we got out here, we just soon died out here. Uh, you know, it, it, you know you've got a problem with your mouth and with your thinking when the only options you have in your life are death. When all you're thinking about is if I would just die, your thinking is not right. Amen. And the children of Israel are thinking that way and they're murmuring and they're telling that to God. Be careful what you tell to God. Amen. They are telling God that. Notice in verse 2, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? In other words, God, why'd you do it to us? And that is the cry of many people on earth today when tragedy strikes. Oh, God, why'd you do this to me? God, why did you do this to me? And some people say it in foul, no good, blasphemous language when they say it. And they blame God for their situation and problem and blame God for the heartaches and problems that come to mankind through various methods and means. They blame it on God. And they're saying, God, you should have just left us in Egypt. Why would you even bring us out here to die anyway? Jesus. Well, you know, that, that's, that's what they're saying. And we're all going to die. That's what they're talking about. And so, notice that it goes down verse 27. We're not read it all. But verse 27, notice what God, how God responds to them. Okay? This order break you from now on. That you would never, ever murmur and complain again in your life. Okay, look at it. Numbers 14, verse 27. God says, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain? See that? How long am I going to put up with these people who complain? Big thing I want you to see, who complain against me? I've heard the complaints with the children of Israel make against me. God heard their mouth. God heard their doubt, their fears, their unbelief. God heard their false accusations against him, against Moses, and against Aaron. God said he heard everything they were saying. Yes. I've heard the complaints that the children of Israel make against me. Verse 28, say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The thing you have said to me, God says, I'm going to do. You said you wanted to die? Okay, you're going to die. You said you wanted to die in the wilderness? That's all right. You're going to die in the wilderness. 
And God tells them in verse 29, The carcass of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and upward and above. There was all of you adults that had sense enough to know what you were saying and the way you were murmuring, complaining, then you want to die, you're going to die. It's only those little folks, they're going to get to go in, and you know what, and, and they're going to be changed during this 40 years, but you're, you're going to die during that time. You're going to get what you complained about. You're going to get what you murmured for. And so when we come to God, why is it that we would come to God in our life and complain to Him about our circumstance and our situation? Why, why would we do that? Why would we come to God and say, you know, God, this is all wrong. This is all bad. This is terrible. And a lot of times we preface our prayers just that way. We'll, we'll come before God in our presence or whatever we want to call it in our prayer room, our prayer time, or wherever we're at, and we're bow our head now, Lord God. Now, you know what's going on in here. This is what happened. They said thus and so. They said this. They said that. They said, I better not go here. If I do, I'll get that. They said, I better not live this way. If I do, this is going to happen to me. And all these things are happening. These people are dying, and this is going on, and everything's all. And you just repeat the problem to God and murmur and complain to God. Well, you know what? We don't have our eyes closed. We, we know what situation is on planet Earth. Ain't nobody saying it's not. Okay? But at the same time, that shouldn't be the focus of your prayer in relationship with God. That should not be the focus of your relationship with God, that you just come in murmur and complain unto Him. Why not come in? If you want to say something like that, you say, why not come in before the Lord and say, God Almighty, I recognize this, that a thousand might fall at my left hand and ten thousand at my right hand, but you said it would not come close to me. That's the way you do it. You pray that word out. And then you believe that word. And then you act on that word. Amen? And that, that's what you do. You, you don't murmur and complain. Oh, God, things look bad. Things look terrible. Things look rough. <laughs> I, I'm seeing some of the most amazing things I have ever seen in my entire life right now in the area of God blessing and prospering people. Amen. Right in the midst of these financial hardship and times that's going on, I'm seeing some of the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. I, I don't know everything about what happened. I got some ideas, but, but I know in uh, the... The, the thing that Sheila and AJ run, that uh, book business they run, that thing, a spout got turned off on about the same time the economy got shut down. Wow. It is the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. They can't keep up with everything that's taking place around them. It is an amazing thing. We, we've seen stuff here, here in our church. We will come out of this thing in our church with thousands upon thousands upon thousands and thousands and thousands more dollars in the bank at the end of this thing than when we started as a church. It is, it is the most, I mean, you know, we, <laughs> it's just amazing. God moves and God blesses and God touches in incredible ways. And it doesn't matter what's going on in there right here. It matters that we don't want anyone to hurt or suffer or have pain or heartache. Of course that matters to folks. But what I'm trying to say is those conditions don't matter in the area of God being able to bless you. Amen. He can bless you right in the midst of those things. God is good. God is good. He is so good. He is so good. He is so good. Now give Him all praise and give Him all glory. Well... <laughs> Look, look, look with me. Look with me. Mark 16. Mark 16. Here's what Scripture says. Mark 16, verse 17. And this air binding and loosing. The Bible says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast 
out devils. Amen. He didn't say in my name they shall beg the devil to leave. No, cast out devils. Cast them out. That means you have authority. That means you have power. That means you have something you can do something with over the situation. And so you can do that in the realm of authority. But now, you're not going to have that realm of authority in your life until you're in this kind of praying relationship. You're seeking after God. You're following after Him. And you're doing it the way that God says do it in your life. I mean, it's, it's just an amazing thing to see how God, the authority, how much He has given to you and I. Look with me, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, What is the exceeding greatness of the power to usward who believe? How many believe? Say amen. amen. I'm one of them usward right there. Usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in heavenly places. Far above. Somebody say far above. Far above. Way above all principality and power. Everything. He said all might, all dominion, and every name that is named. If it's got a name, the name of Jesus is greater than it. Greater than every name that is named, not in this world, but also in the world to come. He's put all things under your feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. The church is in dominion. The church ought not be running and hiding during this day. The church ought to come out and take its rightful place of authority in the community. Amen? Amen. 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 The church has dominion. The church has authority. The church has a place and a stance in God that nothing else in this world has like the church has. Because Jesus Christ is the head of this thing. He is the head of the church. And as long as you and I stay in the church, humbly submitted under Christ Jesus in this church, He has given us, not, not just locally, we're part of it, but I'm talking about the church worldwide that He has purchased with His own blood. As we walk in that church, we will walk in it with power and dominion. Amen. That's what He said. We, we've got power and dominion. Yes. <laughs> Look what He said in Ephesians chapter 2. God's rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. He's raised us up together, 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 and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ Jesus. Does anybody believe? Does anybody have any kind of inkling, any kind of thought that the virus would have any power over Christ Jesus? Say it again. One more time. No. Then get in Christ Jesus and you'll be all right. Amen? Amen? Get in Him and you'll be all right. I mean, to get to me, the devil's got to go through Jesus. He has no success record of making it through Jesus. He has never done it. Never will do it. Never can do it. Not at all. And so as long as I stay hid in Christ in God, as the Bible teaches us we are, then we can walk with confidence and assurance that God's going to take care of us and everything's going to be okay. Amen. Amen. Amen? I'm in Christ Jesus. You're in Christ Jesus. We're in Him. The Bible says this in Luke 10, 19. On his ear, binding and loosing. Scripture says to us, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. Nothing. Nothing. If, if nothing by any means will hurt us in Christ Jesus, why is it people scared they're going to get hurt? It's amazing. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. I mean, as Christians, sometimes we say one thing, we read one thing, and live another. 
But why do we not live what we read, believe what we read, and live what we believe in Christ Jesus? Let's live this thing. Amen? Let's live this thing. If there was ever a key that I ever saw in studying the, the lives of men and women throughout history, particularly from 1948 to 58, what was called a healing move in the voice of healing, and studying so many of those people's lives that I did, and looking and searching and on my knees in prayer and reading through things and buying obscure books and obscure tapes and things that I would find in different parts of the country and paying all kind of money to get it in just to hear the glimpse of it and what that particular author said and what that particular pastor preacher said and, and searching through all of those things. And, and see, if there's one thing and I would look and I would see what they said it was that got them to their place in God and it didn't quite make sense because I knew other people did the same thing and didn't get them where they got and then look at somebody else, and they told me what they did. And I said, well, that's great, and obviously it worked for you, but I see other people did the same thing. It didn't work for them like it did for you. And I see different people all around, and I finally found it. I found one common denominator, one thing, and one thing only in all the lives of great men and God, God and women of God that you could mention. I found one thing, just one, that pulled them all together, that told me how they found their relationship with God that produced miracles and produced great things in their life. And here's what it was. They were willing to lay their life down on the Word of God. Amen. They said, I'll either have it or if I die, I'll die. That was their only two choices. I'll have it or I'll die. And there were voices everywhere telling them they were going to die. Voices everywhere telling them, hey, we ain't going to work. You can't do this. Why don't you calm down, settle down. Don't take this religion stuff so seriously and back up. But no. There was something on the inside that said no. I've got a glimpse of God, and I'm either going to have him in my life or just go ahead and let me die. If I die, that's fine, too. They, that's not their attitude. But I'll have it or I'll die. And it's that kind of relationship with God that you and I can have in our life that there ain't no evil going to come against us. So what if it, no, I'm standing on God's precious promises. Standing on what God has said. Stand on his relation. And it's not something like you just read in a book five years ago or ten years ago or 50 years ago, 100 years ago. It's something that you have a relationship with him every single day of your life. Right. Somebody said, next time you talk to God, well, I already talked to him today. I've been talking to him. He's been talking to me right now while we were up here. I mean, I, I, I know him. I know him. How would, he, how would he face me? How would God face me if I stood on his word and his word didn't function for me? Ah, he's never going to have to face that. Because that's never going to happen. But that's the kind of relationship you have. It's not one that you say, well, I prayed, I hope nothing happens. It's not that abstract prayer and hope things happen. It's a person you've been talking to. person you've been living with. person you know. You're in communion and relationship and fellowship with him. When he speaks his word to you, how could I dare doubt him? I mean, am I human enough and you human enough to have what you might call doubts and fears? Not all of us are, are, are that. But how can I doubt one that's never lied to me? And has never done anything wrong toward me. Has always done every single thing that he said he would do. And always done even that and so much more in my life. How can I even begin to let him think that I would doubt him? I don't want to hurt his, if you will, hurt his feelings or hurt my relationship with him. Or or hurt him to think that I'm doubting him. No, no. It's a relationship. How many knows God's real? Amen? It's a relationship with him. And we have this in this arena of prayer. That's why you can bind and loose. That's why. Not because you're some big somebody or I am. No, we're not. But in Christ Jesus, we are. In Christ Jesus, we are what Jesus is. And what he can do, you and I can do. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Absolutely. All right, let's look at a couple other things and we're going to close. Look at 1 John chapter 5. 
I want to show you something. Praying, another prayer point that I want to mention. Don't get anywhere near where I need to be. But First John chapter 5, verse 14. Sounds simple, but hold on to it. Pray. Pray in the will of God. Amen. Pray in the divine will of Almighty God. In other words, we don't pray necessarily. And you have to hold this kind of thinking. You don't pray necessarily based on what you or I want or somebody else wants. Now then, once you get your mind renewed to the things of God, and once you walk in this kind of relationship with God, then certainly, yeah, the things you want are the things God wants. Yeah, you're not going to be asking Him something that He doesn't want for you. You're going to be in that kind of relationship with Him. You're going to pray the things that God wants you to pray. And so you're walking there. But what we have to understand is God's will is determined unto us, and He speaks His will unto us, and we can know what His will is. His will is not very hard at all. I've got it in front of me right now. I've got this little iPad thing here. And uh, I can look in the scripture and I can look up all kind of things about God's will. Uh, in, in the Bible, what, 1189 chapters in the Bible and uh, 776,000 plus words in the Bible. And I can sure see God's will on a whole lot of things. Yes. I can thir- turn to 3 John 2 and say, Beloved, I wish above all things that you might prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Amen. So I don't even have to question that ever again in my life. Because no. God said, Leon, I wish you'd prosper. Yeah. And he has. And he wished it and he makes it happen. I wish you'd prosper and I wish you'd, you know, your soul would be prospering. And he's done that too. Amen. And I wish you'd be in hell. And he's done that too. Amen. And so all these things that God says are his will. And so you can never in a million years come to me and say, God doesn't want all my needs supplied. Mm. I'm never going to believe that. No. Never. Because the Bible says that he supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. I know. I know what God's will is. I don't have to ask, is it God's will? For me to be able to buy a car. Is it God's will for me to buy a house? Is it God's will for me to do this, do that, whatever? Will God provide for me? I know that God will provide for me. I know that he will. That's not a question any longer. So if it's in the word, if it's in the word, it is God's will for his children. Okay? Now again, you're going to have to study that out a little bit because the Bible talks about the world. And the things that are God's will for his children are his will for everybody, but only as they become his children. Amen. So there's some in the world says, okay, what you going to do? Well, I'm going to go back down here and I'm going to open up the biggest liquor store in town. I want God to bless me, pay for this thing. No, you operating in the world. Okay? You, you need to get saved, get born again, get into the things of God, come over a child of God, and, you know, open up you another kind of store. God to bless you. So, so we understand those things, but you can look throughout the scriptures and you can see God's will for you. Yes. And if it's God's will for anybody else, it's God's will for me. Yes. Because the book of Acts, chapter 10, the book of Romans as well, chapter 2, verse 38, God is no respect of persons. Amen. He don't love you anymore than he loves me. That's right. Amen. He don't love me anymore than he loves you. Amen. What he did for you, he'll do for me. Yes. Now again, if I'm in the same circumstance you're in and do the same things you did, and, and, you know, operate that kind of way. In other words, if I say, okay, I've got a friend here who needed healing in their body, and they got it. But now I need healing and hadn't got it. What you doing? I'm living like the devil. <laughs> Was they living like the devil and they got healed? No, they weren't. They were praying and fasting, seeking God, and believing, standing on Scripture, standing on His Word. Have you been praying, fasting, standing on God, standing on Scripture, standing on His Word? Well, no, uh-uh. I've been running around crowding. No, it's not the same. God's no respecter of persons. 
Okay? So I know if I do the same things that they did in the Bible, I get the same thing. Somebody said, I wish God would give me prophecies like he did Daniel. Well, have you fasted and prayed for 21 days like Daniel did? When he got that prophecy? I wish people sent angels to me like they did Daniel. Well, it was on that 21st day that the angel came to him and said, I was sent here because of your words. I wish God did that for me. Well, have you fasted and prayed and sought God? Have you read the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and you looked and you saw these prophecies and you were studying over them about what was going on like Daniel was? And so you've you got to be doing the same kind of things in principle. Not, not exactly Daniel's 70 weeks, you know. Not exactly, but in principle, you've got to be doing the same kind of thing. And God is no respecter of persons. So then, we find God's will in the Word of God. But here's what the Scripture says about our prayer life. 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. I have to ask according to His will. I ask according to what God wants. According to what God has already said is the case. I ask according unto his will. Amen. I know he hears me. Now, here's the key. If I know he hears me based on his will, in verse 15 of 1 John chapter 5, if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him. I know I can receive it if I know he hears me. I know he hears me if I'm praying according unto his will. And so upon that basis, upon that basis, I can look and find promises of God in the Scripture and say, you know what, I want that too. But I, I see what they got, and I want the same thing. God, do for me what you did for that person. You're no respected person, and it is your will. And so once I know that, I know that I'm in a place of receiving from God, and I can receive. Now, it still doesn't mean the devil's not going to fight you day and night. Still doesn't mean devils and demons from everywhere are going to come out against you, you know, when they really find that you're going to stand on the Word of God and you're going to stand on the things of God and make a stand in your faith to receive from God. Because the devil don't want that. He doesn't want that happening for you. But when you do that and you make that stand, you can have every confidence that you're going to receive from God when you're praying according to His will. Amen. So all this stuff, you know, and, and this is true. I could give you a lot of things people have asked over the years. But uh, I, I, I have one friend every now and then, if the lottery goes up real high, he'll call me up. And this is what he'll say. He'll say, pray for me. I said, what's that? He said, the lottery's way up there. He said, and if you pray, I win. This is what he said. He said, if you pray, I win, I promise you. If you pray, I win, I'll give 10% of all my winnings to the church. And I said, well, I don't know if I believe it or not, because you ain't never done that before. And so well, how's it going to change? And I found that out of life. How's it going to change? You get a lot of money. If you have a problem giving on a small amount of money, you're going to have a bigger problem on giving them a bigger amount of money. So when you start writing them checks for, you know, $20, $30 a week, $40, $50 a week, $100 a week, $200 a week, $1,000 a week, $2,000, $5,000 a week, you know, as you go on up, as you go on up, it don't get easier in that regard. If that's your basis, it's going to be difficult for you. And so, but people say that. Well, I'm not going to pray him win the lottery. Because the Bible didn't say that we get blessed and prosper by winning the lottery. No. We, 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 God supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, right? You think they got a lottery in heaven? Then when you get up there and say, let's check on your mansion. And they'll spin the wheel. And they spin the wheel. You pull off number 12. Uh-oh, number 12. You got it. You got it. What you got? You got it. You got it. You got that little cabin right down in the corner of Glory Land. There's your cabin. Go down there. 
Somebody else spinning the wheel and get 24. You got the mansion. You got, no, there ain't no lottery in heaven. You don't get nothing based on the lottery. You get it based on the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? We pray according to the will of God. Now, let me read you something. I'm going to give you this quote. T.L. Osborne said this. It was in 1947. What well, was prior that to that, that T.L. Osborne and his wife, Daisy, were seeking the Lord. They were in the Foursquare Church in Washington State. And as they were there, they both had gotten saved when they were 17 years of age. And they came to the Lord early in life, and they were just sold out. They just wanted to do whatever God wanted to do, anywhere, anyplace, anyhow. It didn't matter. And so they wanted to be missionaries, and God had spoke to their heart to do so. And uh, they had went uh, to be a missionary uh, in India and had stayed over there about two years and came back miserable failures. They went over there and told them, that uh, we've got the Bible here, and the Bible says that you must be saved, and if you don't, everybody's not saved, going to perish. And he said the Indian people told him in India, he said the Indian people came to him and said, well, look, we've got a book here called the Quran. Mm-hmm. And in this particular book, and there's all kinds of religions there, but this was the Quran in this application there in India. He said, we've got a, a book here called the Quran, and in the Quran it says this. And so which book are we going to believe, your book or our book? T.L. was so depressed and so discouraged because he believed his book, but they didn't believe his book. So his thing was to be, how am I going to make them believe my book? He didn't come up with answers in those two years, and so he and Daisy gave up, quit, came back to America, and said, we're just going to go back to America and preach where people believe the book. And we go back where people do believe the Bible, and we'll pray to them. Well, they saw a great minister come to town in that year, 47, a lot of things happened, and they saw a minister by the name of William Branham that came out to town, and they went and they heard him preach. And when T.L. heard him preach, he heard this. He saw William Branham casting devils out of people, and when he saw that, he said he heard 10,000 voices say to him that you can do that. You can do that. That was it. You can do that. He left there, and he and Daisy began to seek God in a powerful way of prayer, like they'd been praying. And the problem was in their prayer life. They were praying wrongly. What they were doing, they were asking God to do so many things, to give so many things, to be so many things, to empower them in so many. They were asking God for all kind of things. They were praying numbers of hours a day asking God to do things. He came out of that experience with two revelations of a prayer that is never answered. You know, if you fail at something, look and see how you failed. And then don't repeat it anymore once you find out what it was made you fail. He came out of that revelation. Now, again, after that, they received a wonderful revelation from God. And God began to move in their life. They were empowered by the Spirit of God. They went back to the mission field and went into over 70 nations of the world. They probably built more churches on planet Earth than anybody. Anybody. And they would build what they would call the native churches. They would go into community. They didn't take Americanized living to them. They would go into whatever community it was, preach the gospel to them, and have one of their people become pastors, and one of their people begin uh, you know, working in the church, and their people build a church that suited to them, and they would just help fund them and have, give them everything they could. And then they'd move on out, and they'd go somewhere else and do it again and do it again and again and again, and they started multiplied thousands and thousands of churches on planet Earth in that over 70 uh, years of ministry in 70 nations, as a matter of fact, both there together, that they were. But he said, 
in this time of trying to find out what's going on, he gave two kind of prayers that will never be answered. Okay? Remember, this is in the context of praying the will of God. The first prayer that he said is this. He said the mistake that we make is this. We ask God to do what has already been done by Jesus Christ at the cross. We ask God to do what he's already done. We ask God to do what he has already done. You see, when I pray for healing for myself, I'm going to pray to God, Lord God, I receive my healing in Jesus' name. I'm not going to say to God, will you heal me? I'm not going to say, God, will you heal me? I'm going to say, God, you are Jehovah Rapha. You are my healer. You heal me and you deliver me of all sickness and disease. I'm not asking you to do that. I recognize that you are that and that is what you do. When I was faced with that situation, I guess it was in 2009, that was faced with a situation. A doctor went to a doctor, went to two doctors, as a matter of fact, and I had blood in my bowels and some other issues that were going on there and went and was tested and the results came back and the cancerous thing there, 2009. Whenever that was happened to me and that took place and I got the final result on a Wednesday, on that day, I came to church that night and talked. And Thursday, the next day, I was setting aside as a time to pray that thing away. And so Thursday came. And when Thursday came and I entered into my prayer study, I went in there with, with some ideas of my thinking, maybe going this line or the other. But as I went in, I began to pray like I had always been praying the Lord's Prayer. And I began to praise the Lord that he is Jehovah Rapha. Hallowed be thy name. God, you are Jehovah Rapha. And as I began to say that in my study, on the far side of my desk, in my house right now, in my studies, I'm going around, and I'm saying Jehovah Rapha. At that point, something on the inside of me, after hearing devastating news, something on the inside of me begins laughter inside of me. And I begin to laugh. And and I'm laughing. (laughs) And I can't stop. And then I say, Lord, I said, you know what? I've been praying since the middle 80s that you're Jehovah Rapha and you're my healer. I just can't ask you to heal me. That's what I said to him. And I'm laughing. I said, how is it? Why would I do that? Why would I ask you to heal me? You've been my healer now for almost 35 years. Why why would I do that? You are my healer. Why would I insult you? by? I was laughing about it. And then as I'm laughing, I said, you know what? Lord, the devil thinks he's going to kill me. And that was funny, too. And so all the bad, and that was on a Thursday. And when that anointing and presence was in that room on that Thursday, immediately after ending my prayer, which was just a few minutes, not prepared to be there all day, but just a few minutes, and after that come upon me like that, and that laughter was so inside of my heart and my life, and I recognized that I have a foundation of prayer before God, and I know who He is, and, you know, God, it's, it's foolish to think that He would let me down. I mean, and I couldn't bear my, bring myself to even ask anything from him. There's no reason to ask for what you've already got. Amen. And so as I begin to uh, understand that and have that great sense of laughter is going on in my life, and then, then I call up the doctor that examined me, and I said to him, look, you need to check me again. He said, there's no reason to. We've checked you here, and they checked you there, and there's no reason to. I said, okay. I mean, no, but I don't care. You need to check me again. I'll pay for it. Don't worry about it. If you just don't pay for it, I'll pay for it. Check me again. 
That was on Thursday. The next day is Friday, and Friday at 10 o'clock, he checks me again, and at Friday at 10 o'clock, the results he had on Wednesday were completely, absolutely gone by Friday at 10 o'clock. They were not there anymore. There was no problems whatsoever in my whole body whatsoever. None. And he said, he said, well, I still want you to go over here and have this done. And he sent me to have this done. And I went and had that other thing that they do uh, to, you know, on a basis of looking for cancer and your colon, that kind of stuff. I went and did that, and the doctor came back out, and he's nothing there. He said, that's strange, too. He said, because usually when you got that other result, this never happens. And that's been never happening for 10 years now. I I mean, you know, not, not, not even an issue in all of that. And so, you know what? God will do what he has said he does. But if I'm just saying, God, will you come and hear me now? heal me now? I'm not saying that. You've already healed me. I just got to get Leon to receive it. It's not I'm asking you to do. I'm getting me to receive. Everybody say, not asking to do what you've already done. But I am receiving it right now. That's what we're doing. And T.L. Osborne, he said that. He said, we ask God to do what he's already done. And God's not going to do again. What, you think he's going to have Jesus come back to earth and send him back to the cross again? No. no. He's already done it. Yeah. And T.L. said, that's the first mistake. Second mistake. I've got to get out of here. Second mistake. He said, we ask God to do. Now listen to this one. We ask God to do what he has commanded. You got it. Us to do. We ask God to do what we're supposed to be doing. The Bible didn't say, we don't come to God and say, God, why don't you get rid of this devil? God didn't tell you to come to him and ask him to get rid of this devil. God told you, cast out devils. You cast out devils. Get the devil off my back. God didn't tell you to ask him to get the devil off your back. God told you to resist the devil and then he'd flee from God. No. Holy Spirit, no. Flee from Jesus, no. Flee from who? You. You. So that's those two things. One, we ask God to do what he's already done. Never gets answered. Unless you think he's going to do it all over again just for you. And it hadn't happened so far, 2,000 years since the cross. Okay. We ask God to do what he's already done. Secondly, we ask God to do what we're supposed to be doing. When, you, when God gives you the authority, yes. I mean, you got a little child you're trying to train using the bathroom, there's a little while you might help them along, right? Amen. And the rest of the time you might say, you're going to have to do something about yourself. Well, I get this clothespin put on my nose, but you're going to have to do something about yourself. <laughs> it's your time now. And we as children of God, when you realize the authority that God has given you in the place you have in Christ Jesus, it's time you get up and do something about it. Yes, amen. Amen. God, amen. I mean, and, and do it over and over again. Say it, say it. I've done it various times in my life. I said, but you're healed in Jesus' name. Yes. Foot says I'm not. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Oh, if Jesus would come down and just touch this foot, I'd be all right. Oh, he's already come down and touched it. Amen. He touched it 2,000 years ago. Oh, if Jesus would just come in and lay his hand on your fevered brow. Uh-uh. No. He's already done it. He don't have to do that. He did that 2,000 years ago on the cross. When he took stripes on his back, my foot got healed. Amen. Now, foot might not know it, but foot's got to believe it. Yes. Foot's got to receive it. And I'm not going to beg God for something that God's already done. Yeah. That, that, think, keep those two things, two concepts. Don't ask God for something he's already done. Right. And don't ask God to do something that he's told you to do. Right. If you do what you're supposed to do, yeah. and you believe on what God's already done, then there might be a few other things that might 
mind don't totally concede. There might be a few other things out there you're going to need to pray for. And you might need to ask God to do this, that, and the other for you. That's okay. That's okay. But don't make those two mistakes. Let's learn. Let's grow. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God Almighty, we give you praise and glory. We give you glory in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Just lift your hands toward heaven. Let's worship Him. Father God, we give you praise. We give you glory. We honor you. We thank you, Lord God, that you're in this house. You're in this place today. God, we thank you for life that you've given us, Lord God. Without you, we can't do anything. But, Lord God, with you, we can do all things, O Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for this tremendous thing that you've made available to us in the arena of prayer, that we can come and fellowship and have a relationship with you, Lord. God, you're just everything, Lord. Without you, Lord God, we can do nothing. We'd be miserable failures in all things. But God, thank you, Lord God. We are not without you, Lord God. And with you, Lord, we always triumph and we overcome in every circumstance and situation. And God, we give you praise. We give you glory. We honor you. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for every blessing that you poured out on me. I receive in Jesus' name. I thank you that the devil is bound, has no part nor lot in the matters of my life. And in Jesus' name, I'll walk in your blessings, almighty God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, give him praise. Glory to God. Yes, hallelujah. Bless you, bless you. God bless you as you dismiss today. Amen.